that's it. We're off and running. It's a big Great. production, you know. <laughs> um, but thank you for being here. Thanks for driving out. I'm really excited to talk to you. Sure, no problem. Thanks for having me. I have to give you the official first question of the podcast. Okay. And then after that, like I said, it's just a conversation. Okay. So the first official question, or the only official question is, what were you up to when you were seven years old? And I'll explain why that's the question after you give it well, the answer. Well, no, I'm trying to remember exactly. I think I was waiting tables in a Chinese restaurant. At seven? Da, da. <laughs> <laughs> At seven? <laughs> yes. You don't understand the Chinese people. The yeah. kids are here for a purpose. <laughs> yeah, they're here to work. Yeah. I think, uh, so I grew up in Taiwan. Okay. Uh, we went to Denmark when I was four. Went to New York when we were seven, and then my mom bought a restaurant in Philly when I was around seven or eight. Yeah, so right and around then. She put me to work right away. Okay, so you got it. Like you had a professionalism under your belt at seven. I actually, I think I was bussing tables. I was not actually waiting tables, but I was right. like just moving glasses and things like that. And there's a cart that you roll, and then you clean yeah. up tables like that. I had, I think, I did about a year of bussing tables, or before I could actually wait a table okay well it's funny that your first thought is like what was my job you literally had a job you were putting in hours at that time. i had a, i literally yeah and what I were did. you doing outside of that when you weren't you know school work those are pretty standard things i mean not standard for a seven-year-old but you know what was like what was your sort of what was your vibe as a child as a seven-year-old there really wasn't anything else wasn't, i mean yeah. literally i have to yeah. tell you I went to school. I think we got out at three at that time. Yeah. I took the bus, went straight home, which was the restaurant. Right. We actually, don't tell anyone, we lived in the basement. Wow. So, but by then, by 3 p.m., we're like prepping for the next day. And then you're there till Till 11, 12, close. And And then then it's homework and then So I I had no vibe. I was the most boring kid. Yeah. I knew very little. I mean, I was was a geek as a kid. Sure. So was I. Every joke, I was like, what that? What does that mean? What is it? <laughs> like, explain that to me, please. Yeah. And, and sometimes I didn't even have anybody to ask. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, you didn't have a, like a real socialization at that age, so. You and know. you can't even look it up on YouTube. No, you can't like, look now, up anything. Like this, an Urban Dictionary. I can look everything up. Yeah. Like, yeah. Someone says something, I just go home and quietly look it up. Yeah. I was like, well, whatever. Yeah. So okay. So the reason I asked that question is, I just think it's an interesting way to start the conversation. But it comes from this this ancient maxim that says. Give me the boy at seven and I'll show you the man. So the idea uh, is that like the person you are, all how you've been formed until the age of seven really sets you up to be the person you're going to become. So, I actually think that's a great question. Yeah. And I think it's very true. Okay. And, but the thing is, I think almost all of us are in denial about it until we're like 29. Yeah. And we start to turn into our parents. <laughs> yeah. And then we're like, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we turn into our parents. And also, you know, it's the hero's journey. It's like you spend all this time sort of trying – trying to um, release the sh- like free yourself from the shackles of your like your upbringing and like the the pressure your parents put on you and eventually you sort of return to it and the idea I like the idea of sort of returning to your seven-year-old self I mean maybe you don't want to be bussing tables but uh, exactly <laughs> well, but hey I can I can still carry four glasses in one hand because really? I train myself to do it. <laughs> It's a skill. That's a good skill for the bar. At least three plates. I can always go back to waiting tables if I want. Yeah, you got that in your back pocket. But I do think you're right. And uh, I'll tell you, I did an interesting thing, which was um, I traveled a lot after college. Mm -hmm. And at one point, I realized that, like, so I was doing the rapid travel thing, which is like jump on a train and sleep on a train. And, you know, every morning was like a new city kind of thing. Yeah, that's the romantic travel, though. It was great. Yeah. And your early 20s, that's perfect. It was great. And, um, I was actually abroad studying, so I was out, you know, abroad for a year. Yeah. But I did realize that after some point, like, the cities don't change because I don't change that much. Interesting. So it's kind of like going back to who you are at seven. I think you are, and as the older I get, the more this is true. Our battles are really internal. Sure. They're not external. We think they're external. We think there's somebody else. We think there's something out there. Yeah. It's really internal and, um, especially true in acting in all these arts yeah because um having watched a lot of people like i i coach some acting and things like that yeah a lot of people it's whatever there are things that block them mm-hmm. sometimes yeah but it comes from their early childhood and within themselves yeah and really they you know in order to progress you want to challenge yourself that way yeah i mean there's this idea 
you know, those teenage years, the angsty teenage years, the early 20s where you're just like, why won't the world bend to me? Like, I want I want the world to allow me to fit in the way I want to fit in. But you eventually realize that, like, that's an impossible proposition. And any change you want to make has to come from within or else you're going to your wheels are going to be spinning in the mud. You're not going to make any progress and you're just going to get increasingly angsty and frustrated and bitter. And, you know, it's it's going to get ugly, I think. I'm going to go grasshopper on you. Please do. Okay. Please do. Enlighten ah, me. Young grasshopper. Yeah. You must bend like a reed in the wind. Exactly. You have to bend. <laughs> exactly. Because the world is actually... So, I mean, it's a nice idea that we can make the world shape to our... Yeah. We want or we can aspire to it. Yeah. But the world's a pretty big place. It's huge. I mean, even your small world, your neighborhood, you know, you, you're not going to affect much change outside your front door. Yeah. You know, you can adjust your apartment and your, your lifestyle, but other than that, you, there's not much you can do. And so it, it's interesting that you came from this very rigid upbringing, but then you, you had this wanderlust, you know, mm-hmm. I moved abroad after college and I traveled quite a bit cause I was in the middle East and I could bounce around Africa and Europe and Asia. Very cool. Um, I'm envious already. Well, we did the same thing as mine wasn't as bohemian and like jumping on a train and waking up wherever, you know, travel by that point was a little safer, a little more, oh, okay. you know, on the beaten path, so to speak. But, you know, I think it's really important to go out into the world. And for me, white kid from the Midwest who was a white kid in New England for college. And then I moved to the Middle East. I'm like, I stuck out. I was no longer just like and, the... And my, the, the people can't tell, but tall white kid. Exactly. Just, so, I mean, yeah. no. Just, not fair. Not fair. <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> but it was so good for me to be culturally, not marginalized, but like very isolated. And then, yeah. you know, I was forced to be introspective and think about like, who am I? Because in the safe surrounding of the Midwest or like, you know, a, a New England college, it, it, you don't have to think much about who you are against the, you know. Against How long your, did you stay abroad? About a year and a half. Okay. I have this thing. Where, so I've lived abroad a couple different times. Yeah. And I figure somewhere around nine, the nine month period. Yeah. Is when you actually accept that you're in a different country. Yeah. And you actually, and then of course you leave after a year and you get, you know, but somewhere your psychology change, it takes at least nine months, maybe mm-hmm. almost a year mm-hmm. before you're like, this is normal as opposed to, oh wow, this is new. This is I'm a neat. visitor. I'm a traveler. Yeah. yeah. And then you start thinking about what it's really like to be here. Yeah. You know, so I, I think, you know, people go abroad for three months. It's not enough. It's not enough. Cause you don't really like, like you, you're always a visitor. Yeah. Until you you settle and accept that this is every day. In certain places, I mean, like Japan, they say you'll never be accepted as like you could be born there as a white person, and they're like, no, you're you're a foreigner. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. You know, it's a, it's. I mean, it's a, it's. I love the Japanese people. Great society, but tough society in that tough. way. Yeah, very strict, yeah. very rigid. Um, but so I had that similar wanderlusty thing, and then I landed in L.A. And then it was like I felt more rooted in who I was and able to explore and, you know, being in the creative arts, like you said, like tried to make those changes from within that would allow me to blossom creatively. And, you know, how um, so you went to college, how long you stayed a year and a half in the Middle East? Yep. And then did you come straight to L.A. from the Middle East? Yeah, I had I was working abroad with a company that transferred me to L.A. And it was supposed to be just a six week training transfer and i just never left out you drank the water it was all over well it was a secret plan i was like yeah i'll be there for six weeks don't worry about it boss Uh, and then i just i was like ah i rented apartment and bought a car i'm not leaving (laughs) that's great well good for you but so i really like your answer to your the the seven-year-old question because you know we shot recently did like a little group test shoot down in venice beach with Mm -hmm. a, a ton of cool models and two photographers and like the number one word that stuck out to me about you is just professional like you're very professional you're too kind you're a technician when it comes to lighting and facial expressions and like the way you gave direction was not just like a let's just spray and pray and hope we catch lightning in a bottle no let's think about where's the sun where you know what's your face doing what's your wardrobe doing what's the mood what's the vibe and you know we showed up and there's a lot of like younger talent who are doing these very like colorful bubble gum like you know, trying on sunglasses on the Venice boardwalk. And I was like, you know, my agents are really trying to age me up into this more young dad category. I'd like to be a little more like urban upscale. And you're like, you're in the wrong place for that. (laughs) 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 Yeah. But we got some really good portraits on the beach where 
you know, the background is a little more subdued. It was a little more, I don't know, stoic maybe. Yeah. 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 That was good. Um, you know, uh, uh, unfortunately, I think you have to be a technician when you're trying to get stuff done. Yeah. Because uh, in all these things, so I come from, um, so I'm an actor as well. Yeah. And so I've been on a lot of sets and stuff like that. And yeah. um, what I find is, uh, you know, and you get there early and you, I watch all the prep and all this other stuff. And, yeah. You know, um, so it's just so interesting to compare it to a shoot because I always approach it the same way. And I, I started shooting. I got my a digital camcorder in like 2005 or something. Okay. I started shooting. And then, you know, you have to go through. You have to visit the site. You have to look at it. You have to see where the sun is, all this kind of stuff, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and it's kind of funny to me because all these kids, I can say that since I'm an old man now, <laughs> uh, you know, they, like, get a camera and they go shoot. And they're like, they don't even think about these things. Uh, our, our friend Angel, yeah, I felt so bad for her because she posted some video of they went to the Mojave. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, with the that wind, wind was like at yeah. like 20, 20 miles, at least twenty miles an hour. Yeah. I was going to shoot a ballet dancer last week, and the wind was like eleven or thirteen. Yeah, and you look at like eleven, thirteen, not a big number. You get on the beach, no, that's it's not aggressive. good. That's not good shooting. Yeah, you know, and so uh, that was uh, that had to be fifteen, twenty miles an hour wind. But that's one of those things where you, you know, you try to control every variable you can so that you can deal with that wind. And like Angel was able to get great shoot yeah, shots yeah. out of that And situation. she's a trooper too. So I mean, she's such she, a trooper. Yeah. Um, she comes up on this podcast a lot. She introduced us. You, know, uh -huh. you guys have shot before. Um, and she is also very professional in the way she approaches her art. And very professional. That's kind of what I want to get to is like there's this idea, especially with modeling and then also with acting where it's, and a lot of creative arts in general, where it's like it's not cool to work hard it's, oh. it's it's romantic to be like this tortured artist who sleeps all day and drinks all night and then like wakes up and pounds out a novel like Kerouac, which it's just not it's not the case most of the time. And I don't know if it's ever the case. I think that's I, been like it's it's a myth. It's been romanticized to the point where people think that's the reality and it's not. It's a total myth. Yeah. It's a complete and total myth. Yeah. I mean, um, if, you know, for people that are ever on set. You know, you look at the schedule and you know because you've mm -hmm. been on set and, you know, the crew's there at 630. They're yeah. setting up lighting. They prepped all the stuff. You know, you run through rehearsals and all that stuff or they'll show you where you are. Or, I mean, for modeling and acting stuff, you know, at least you see it. You see the crew prepping and it might be a couple hours before you shoot. Sure. Because, you know, and that entire day has been planned with everything. Yeah. You know, and it just nothing happens quickly. Nothing happens quickly. Everything is very calculated. And. There's no room for these like, like dilettante, like divas who just show up and they're like, "I'm, I'm the talent. Like, what do you need from me? Like, I'll, like, it's all about me. You have to be a part of the machine, and like, the machine is very structured, and like, you have to work hard. And you know, I'll, I'll show up to shoots where they might request that we bring some of our own wardrobe, mm -hmm. and these models will be like, "I didn't bring anything." They like, yeah. kind of say like a like a badge of honor, I'm like. Well, do you not want the shoot to go well? Like, do you not want the best shots for not only the client, but like for your portfolio, for your agency? Like, you know, I, I pick up little things all the time. Like one of my first shoots, you know, we were, it was a bunch of fitness models shoved into a van bouncing around LA to different locations. And someone had like dry knees. And one of the models was like, oh, I have, I have lotion in my backpack. Like they had a whole kit with all the things you might need on a set if hair and makeup's not there because sometimes you don't know if hair and makeup's going to be there. So stuff like that in just terms, it's like the Boy Scout, always be prepared, you know? Well, and also, um, you know, I, when I was young and I was looking at Hollywood, you would think that like someone's going to do all this for you. Yeah. Like you look at all these stars and their great outfits and you think like, oh, someone's going to get me that wardrobe and you know, um, the more I'm on set, the more it's not true. Yeah. And, and I come to realize, so like uh, Audrey Hepburn, mm. um, apparently all the stuff she wore, she picked. Really? Like all like there are all these famous designs. Yeah, and, she's uh, like a fashion icon. She actually, I think she made a couple designers. Um, like she picked them and said, I want to wear that. Yeah, and if she wears it. And she wears it. And so the they, she made them famous. Yeah. But... All that stuff that all those that great wardrobe she had, she told them this is what I want. Yeah, you know, and um, of course I love to be in that position first. Sure, <laughs> but yeah, but uh, there's I've learned that like even simple things like um, sometimes you, like you go to set uh, on at least for acting they'll cut your hair. Mm -hmm. 
I've come to realize that they may not always cut hair the best way for you. No, they, nothing against them, but like they do it for the shot, and it, yeah. it's like it, they're not thinking about the next month of your life. They're thinking right. about that day. Well, and also here's here's a, a truth, which is, um, you know, um, so I'm not a name actor, mm-hmm. but I'm not the top of the call sheet. So they're spending time with the the name actors and giving them the the full treatment. Sure. And you know, I'm here for a couple of days, maybe. They're like. Yeah. Okay, you're done. Yeah. Because they're gonna move on to something else. Right. So you have to you have to prep it so that you do the best thing. Mm-hmm. And and this is something that I think models don't realize as much. Like in acting, um, they're always like, you got to do the best take because you have to give it to them so that when they get to edit, mm-hmm. you know, if you don't give it to them, they you just get cut out. Right. And they're it gonna, happens in modeling in some. They'll time. cut your coverage. Yeah. Yeah. The, what if, if it's not there, they're not gonna use it. They're gonna shift around you. So in the modeling side, it could be you could be in it, but you could also not. Yep. Right, and I'm sure you know that. Especially too. Group, I mean, group stuff, like when there's a whole group of friends who are supposed to be enjoying a sports game at a bar or something. Like, there is this sort of jockeying for position and who yeah. can draw focus. But also, like, if you're put into the back, go in the back and do your job really well. And half the time they'll be like, Michael, can you like come back to the front? Like, if you're doing, I don't know if you're doing it in a way that's of service to the greater shoot and not being all about you and like, oh, I want I want my face to be in this. And you're just like, well, I'm, I'm in the back. I'm going to, you know, do whatever I can to make sure that they're getting the shot they want. Maybe I'm in profile and I'm interacting with this and showing a relationship. You know, that's going to help be, it's going to be beneficial to the larger shoot than just you. And I think that's what people pick up on is when you're you're being a team player. And, and the odd thing is you actually stand out more when you're real and you're natural. Yeah. Because... You know, even in a modeling shoot where you would think that people aren't talking as much as, you know, camera or whatever, you can sense someone mm-hmm. who's real mm-hmm. versus someone who's like a real expression on their face or, you know, like they're actually doing what, you know, they have an activity or whatever. Yeah. You, you can sense it and, you know, you pick a shot where like, oh, I like the vibe. If you're contributing to that vibe. Yeah. You know, they'll pick the, the one that has the best vibe, if you will. And if right. you're contributing to it, then that'll help it all. Yeah, I mean, authenticity comes through. You're not even really consciously aware of it, but it, like your body language, your 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 micro expressions, all that. I mean, when we were shooting on the beach, you were like, have you guys taken an acting class? Like, like be doing something, be in a moment because that's so much more genuine than just like a stock headshot where like you're just trying to show your eyes and your teeth and that's, that's good for one thing. But if you're trying to capture a moment, be, you have to be in a moment that's not just you posing for a camera. And and I think um, I always try to do this with with models because I think unfortunately models are not, you know, they start thinking most models start thinking about poses and things they can do, mm-hmm. and um, someone has to tell them at some point, you know, think about being you and being free and expressing yeah. yourself, yeah, and that'll make the shot because that'll make you unique. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, poses aren't unique. No, right? you know, no. So I always um, I try and I, I find. You know, um, at least that's what I go for. Maybe because I'm biased as an actor, but I tend to find that people also respond to it. Like if there's a real moment is shot, there's a real expression, you get to see that person's personality. Yeah. That makes the shot. It, it almost doesn't matter like what the shot is. Yeah. As long as you see that person's personality, you know. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times when, you know, you get photos back from a photographer and they make selects or your agency goes through a, a test shoot and pulls out the photos they like. The stuff they gravitate towards a lot of times is like these in-between shots where you're like shifting from one pose to another and that's, you know, you're in a pose, that's like a fake, <laughs> don't worry, it's Ella. Um, you know, you're you're going from one pose to another. So in between the two poses is like the real you making that shift and that's where they catch you and that's what they pull because they see that authenticity. So true. Uh, I have, for a lot of women, models is a moment where they fix their hair. Yeah. And it's actually the it's so great, but the minute I tell them to fix their hair, yeah, I lose it. Yeah, <laughs> it just it just always because happens. it has to be them actually doing it. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, uh, almost all the time, it's like, you know, they'll be doing doing a pose and they'll they'll relax and fix their hair. Yeah, and it's very hard to catch. Yeah, so I tell them to do it again, and then they're like very mechanical about it. You have like, to be sneaky oh, about it. I lost it. it. I lost it. You have to just wait. It's like candid camera stuff. I mean, I remember my first the first commercial shoot I ever did was a. Uh, um, a, a spot for the Apple Watch and I was on a rowing machine and I had long hair at the time 
and the director wanted me to stop rowing and then you know he was shooting from behind me so you could see the watch on my wrist and I was going back to like fix my man button and I kept doing the take and he, he stopped me he's like he's like you're just doing what I'm telling you to do you're just doing this movement he's like you don't He's like, you need to need to do it. You need to yeah. have a reason that you're fixing your hair. Not uh-huh. because I said so, but you, like, you have to find something in you that's like, yeah, you know, oh, it's bothering me. It's like, uh, you know, it's a little loose. I'm getting sweaty. I need to I need to fix this before I keep going and push through this like next set of the workout. Having that sort of thought process gets you to a place where the movements, even it's going to be, you know, in an Apple commercial, it's going to be a half a second vignette, but they want that authenticity. And, and it is so... F- funny because I know that a lot of models don't actually see I actually send all the models I shoot all the pictures so yeah you can see it we like that thank you oh please <laughs> but you know it helps me and I mean just sit I learn the most when I sit and go through them because yeah when it's mechanical you can actually tell mm-hmm. simple thing is just move, you know do check moving your hair and getting that watch shot when it's mechanical you can actually see it on like yeah you know it's hard to explain yeah but you can see it and you can see when it's natural or it's just like something that just happened. Mm-hmm. And um, everybody wants that authenticity because it's real. And and it you actually connect to it much more as the audience that sees it, even for the split second. Right? Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, and we can relate it to acting. I know you're, you're in the acting world and like, if you just say a line, it's very robotic. It's very like you're you're reading a line. You're saying something that someone told you to say. But if you find like the need to say that line, a reason why in your in your interior dialogue or monologue that you're like, wait, wait, no, dude, you can't like, then you can, you can have that come out in a way that's like, has a sense of urgency to it. Like you had uh-huh. to say that mm-hmm. as opposed to like, and here's my cue, I'm gonna say this thing. Right. You know? Yeah. And I'm, I'm so, I'm curious really why, <laughs> I know you have like a business background, right? Uh-huh. You started working when you were seven, as we know. But you did not go straight into acting and doing all this stuff, you know, out of college after your travels. You were a businessman. I was a business guy. Um, I I went to college, uh, went abroad for a year, worked uh, in New York in banking. Yeah, cool. Um, That's what I thought I wanted to do. um, I I will say, though, I'm not one of these guys that hates business. I actually think business is very cool. Yeah. It does get a bad rap, and there are parts that are very boring. Sure. But there are parts that are really interesting. Mm -hmm. So. But I think for me, what it was is that uh, maybe I work. I spent too much time working as a kid, but it's just like I knew it wasn't the only thing I wanted to do in life. Right. And I kind of knew somewhere when I went. I actually got into acting late. Yeah. I got into acting when I was thirty, which Good is deal. really late. Yeah. Um. And I had gone to business school. I got my business degree. You know, I was on a career track. Um. And I kind of realized that the next thing I do, is probably the rest of my life. Yeah. And. Then that idea of like, oh, I'll, one day I'll do this will never happen mm-hmm. because, you know, once you sort of that next choice I was going to make was going to be probably the next 20, 30 years. Yeah. Um, and I would have added, ended up, you know, married, two kids in the suburbs, you know, you know, commuting going to work, the commuting city, yeah. that kind of thing. And, you know, trying to work up the ladder because that's once you're in, once you take that route, you kind of, mm-hmm. you know, try to do what you can. Um, and then next thing you know, you're, you're like, about to retire yeah um because you know it's very hard to get off that track anytime later with, with all the trappings especially you've got the mortgage yeah. and the kids tuition and you know then you, you really can't bail. you get used to it and, you yeah. know all that stuff and then well you if you get kids you've got 20 years where you got to like you got to yeah. make that thing work so that takes care of the next 20 years um and it's not that i didn't want kids it's just that that's part of the whole thing the house sure. the job blah 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 um and so that's when why i went into um acting in the arts so how, what was that leap like? That's a big leap. It's a huge leap. And yeah. um, I didn't realize that at a time. I mean, I'm, I, I probably, I actually grew up poor. Okay. I have to say that's probably a big factor because in the years that I went, after I went into acting, I had all these people come up to me. It's like, oh, wouldn't it wouldn't be fun to do what it's like. It all came down to this. There are a lot of people that were interested in arts or acting, mm-hmm. but just could not take the change in, the downshift in, Lifestyle. Lifestyle is one, but probably the unpredictability of it yeah, is the biggest 100%. thing. So one is the unpredictability. Mm-hmm. The two is the high risk of just like you could end up basically in the same place that you started after 20 years. Yeah. And you have to be willing like you have to be willing to accept that as opposed to you work in a corporate ladder, you'll probably get some kind of promotion and 
whatever, right? Well, I'm going to challenge you on that. Like, I do think there are people who move to L.A. and they don't make any progress in 20 years. But are they working towards it? Like you said, like if you get a corporate job and you don't get fired, like after 20 years, you're going to move up a little. Like you're going to make moves up the ladder. And I think if you you apply the same work ethic to a job, as inconsistent as acting and modeling may be, you know, if in 20 years you're not making any progress, like there's well something's wrong. <laughs> well, I, I actually I would. This is the way I would put it. Yeah, this is the way I think about it. At one point, there was like 120,000 actors in SAC. There are many more now because the unions merged and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But the the figures was there, they said there were some like 5% working actors. I heard 1% makes well, a full-time living in SAC. That could be. Yeah. So I would say, let's say there are 100,000 actors or mm -hmm. whatever it is. I'd say probably 80%, oh, I'm going to get slammed for this one, <laughs> um, could dedicate more time and effort yeah. to... Not only the craft, but also the business side, which is sure. marketing and all these kinds of things. Yeah. You know, there's like, and you know, there's like I know I've shot a lot of people. There are models who are like, this is what I do. If I get a call from my agent, great. If not, I'm not going to do much more. Yeah. You know, and they don't do anything. They don't do any social media, blah, 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 et cetera, all that kind of stuff. Um, that's probably 80, 90%. Yeah. Somewhere in that 10% are working or often working actors that work very hard mm -hmm. and maybe. I would say maybe one to 5% get the break. Yeah. And the break makes it much easier for them to get the next job. Mm -hmm. And the break is like for, for an actor would be a major role in a decently large known movie. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. And I, I assume it's the same for a model where like you get a, a few campaigns where you're known, mm -hmm. you're that face, but maybe not a one-time thing, but a few known campaigns yeah. that put you on the map and then more like, People want you for the bigger things. There's a break level. Yeah. And I think what it is is, you know, you could say 80% sort of, for whatever reason, either they don't want to or they have other things going they on in their life. They don't have to, yeah. Or they don't have to, so they, they don't, you know, treat it like a full-time job, let's mm -hmm. say. And then there is, you know, let's say, call it 10%, whatever. There, there is a certain percentage of actors who work really hard, mm -hmm. but only a, a percentage of them will get the break. Yeah, That's and I, I wonder say. if there's if it's just luck of the draw when it comes to the one percent versus the ten, who gets that break, who doesn't, in those hardworking actors. You know, there's a story about Brad Pitt early on in LA in acting class. You know, he'd go over to his scene partner's houses and the scene partner would call the acting teacher at midnight, like, get this fucking guy out of my house. He won't stop running lines with me. And like, yeah, Brad Pitt's beautiful, but so are a lot of people. But that guy who would not stop working who was obsessive about it. You know, there's the same, the same story about Tom Hardy. He did like an early, I don't think it was Band of Brothers. I think it was before that. But like in between in between takes, he was doing push-ups. Mm -hmm. And some well-known actor who was a few steps ahead of him was like, this kid's going somewhere. This kid's got energy and he's just like, he's working when he's not working, you know? And I think that's what separates that 1% from the rest of the 9%, you know? Maybe. I do. I, I might I be for a little bit. There, There is... There is some, some matter of luck because if you look at like so, chances are anybody who's in the one percent, even if they start off being beautiful and didn't have to work as hard, sure. at some point will have to work hard. Yeah, and you know they they usually, although I could name some actors that, <laughs> you know, once they get the break, a very high percentage of them like get serious and yeah because you, you know, can't waste it and yeah otherwise you lose it because there are a lot yeah. of stars that were good for a couple of years and then have faded into yeah the break obscurity. opens the door you have to yeah. walk through it and you have to keep walking through it because i mean what is it like if you're lucky to have three flops like they say your career is over like you know you just you're just not you're not marketable anymore yeah and then you're you're screwed nothing's gonna you, you can you can have some sort of robert downey jr resurgence but he had a pretty serious backlog to begin with of successes but yeah i think you know even people who are pulled out of obscurity like you know there's like mclovin on Superbad, who like they just did a, a nationwide casting search for an awkward kid and they found this kid who had no acting experience yeah and he was on a massive massive hit movie but after that he pulled that off and then it's like well now what like you yeah. can't just rely on that and be that guy for the rest of your life you got to learn how to act and sort of 
it's the same thing I did by getting into modeling. I got lucky to sign with an agent through some connections through friends and a shoot I ended up on. And then it was like, uh-oh, I need to like get in model shape, like figure out how to be a model and like reverse engineer this career because otherwise it's going to go nowhere because I don't belong here where I am. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it looks like you're doing great. I, 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 I snuck a, a look years. at all your stuff, Okay, you know, you know, before I posted and all that stuff. Because I actually looked up your agency. Yeah, I, I am stalking this guy. <laughs> you did a good job. I was like, "How does he know to tag them?" <laughs> well, actually, it was—I uh, have to admit—it was pretty easy. I just like typed in your name. It's like, "Oh, yeah, well, there you go." Okay. Yeah. Um. So, uh, so I, I did try to do my homework. Um, did, clearly. So, but I, I think uh, I think you're right in sense. Anybody who has longevity, let's say, mm-hmm. has to work hard. Yeah. And you know what I love is uh, some of these actors that you you think that they just you know maiden whatever uh, if you actually look at them over a career you realize how talented they are yeah like uh little things like uh, a lot of them are really good at doing imitations of other people which oh yeah you see them on a talk show you and you're like whoa yeah you know, they do that like roulette wheel where it's like you know do this song in the voice of christopher walken and they can bust out a impression that you're like i could i could never do that like isn't that, uh, and they'll do six of them in a row yeah and so it's they, amazing there's and, something to it or like um you know and so a lot of the ones that are really su- successful work really hard like you know like i didn't notice realize how many actors are actually british a lot of them most of them like most of our jobs like, yeah, yeah it's like damn because they're they're classically trained they've put in the reps in like a real theater school and they've got the american accent down they've got like know. every region they can think of they they can do yeah. Um, so it's just amazing, like, so how good they are. But even someone like, you know, Bryce Dallas Howard is the actress from all the Jurassic Park movies, the mm-hmm. new Jurassic Park movies. She's Ron Howard's daughter. So it's easily assumed like, oh, she's Ron Howard's daughter. Like she just got, you know, it's been a cakewalk for her, but she was on, I don't know, like Stephen Colbert or something or, uh, Jimmy Kimmel. And he was like, I heard you're pretty good at crying. She's like, yeah. And he's like, so if I just told you a story, like you could cry. And she was like, uh-huh. And he's like, so I went to Home Depot the other day and I was like looking for some lumber. And she's like, uh-huh, <laughs> yeah. And like she just starts sobbing. And, you know, there's a ton of pressure. She's in front of a live studio audience. But like that shows that she's done her work for one of the skills that's, you know, very difficult to authentically cry. But she can do it at the drop of a hat and make it look very genuine. Well, you know, there was, a, uh, what was that? The actor's studio? They would do interviews? Yeah, yeah James Lipton. And, uh one thing that was re- actually common among all the actors when they actually sat down and talked about it for an hour mm-hmm. is a lot of them as kids would sit there in a room all alone and imagine doing this and imagine doing that mm-hmm. and imagine like they would just actually do the homework that an actor should do even when they were a kid. Yeah. You know, and they and it carried forward. And so... Well, it's just... It's make-believe. It's play pretend. Like It's complete, which is the one... The great thing about it because anybody can do that. Yeah. Right? So... Well... You lose that skill, though. So you go back to the idea of being that seven-year-old who, you know, I was in the basement of my house. I was an only child at the age of seven, and I just had a basement full of toys. And I don't know what the hell I was doing down there, but I was entertaining myself. I was creating worlds. I was setting up these situations with my G.I. Joes, my Ninja Turtles. And you're just, like, giving them all a character and, like, giving them action and, like, making a ground. You know, you're, you're doing acting exercises. Yeah. But then you, you get told that, like, oh, that's lame. You need to, like watch MTV and be cool and you kind of yeah, forget yeah. that skill and when you when you get down to it that's all acting is it's like we're we're playing we're playing dress up you yeah. know it's very true you know and uh, the people that stayed kids almost you know do really well yeah you know? and um, you know it applies to modeling uh, I assume you do commercials right obviously yeah, right yeah, so yeah. you have commercial agent and all that stuff same thing when you know models do commercial stuff or uh, when models even on set, I think like, um, you know, that acting skill, that playing pretend in mm-hmm. front of a camera, whatever it might be, you know, is a big deal. Yeah, I mean, you're creating those. It goes back to the idea you're talking about about like when things are. What was the word you used? Like robotic or like? Yeah. It's just like, you know, if I have my arm around this girl because she's supposed to be my girlfriend, and we're shooting for some, you know, beverage ad or like whatever mm-hmm. it is just putting my arm around her and going through the motion of what that's supposed to look like is not enough. Like I'm, right. I'm thinking like, I like, I love this girl. This is my girlfriend. We're on this, like, we're on this date. What a fucking great night. Like I might ask her to marry me later. Like just all these things going through your head. And like the way you look at her is going to be so much more endearing and so much more connected. And that is going to create 
a much better still image, which is just, you know, one sixtieth of a second. Yeah. But all that's going to translate and get moved. It's, 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 so it's just micro acting, I think. I think so, you know, and... Uh, Momentary acting. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and, you know, uh, the nice thing is, like, when you're doing a modeling shoot, something like you're on a beach, and so you have a lot of... Yeah. You got the environment to do it with, right? Yeah, and so sometimes, sometimes not, though. Sometimes you're on a soundstage. Sometimes you're that's doing true. green screen. That's true. You know, and I, I that's what I like about my trajectory because I you know I do want to start moving towards more TV and film I've done a little bit you know I was gonna ask you yeah. like what are you um, is there a direction you want to go yeah these I mean days? it is definitely towards you know being a working actor because I think you know modeling like I said is these momentary actions and then in TV you know in commercials I've had the opportunity to have scenes small scenes bits of dialogue interactions and then, you know, the next step for me would be getting those consistent co-stars and guest stars. Because if you look at every great actor like Leonardo DiCaprio, like he was doing cheese commercials as a kid. And then he was on, what is it, Who's the Boss? And he mm -hmm. got his reps in as a series regular. And he just, what you got to do, you got to keep, get, keep getting good at this little thing and then build upon each skill. So I think print modeling is like the, the smallest instance of that than commercials than tv and then you you just keep acquiring skills until it all feels comfortable and you can keep leveling up so i'm very i feel very lucky that i didn't get thrown into the the lion's den and end up on some movie set when i didn't belong there then you blow it and then your career's over so i'm i'm trying to build towards that and you know i've been at this for eight years so mm -hmm. i feel like i in terms of modeling and commercials most sets i'm comfortable on and cool. I'd like to get yeah, to that yeah. place where I could get hired as a day player on a TV show and feel comfortable doing that. And then after that, you know, taking on a whole feature film. And I've done an indie feature, and but when the pressure is a little larger, like I'd like to move towards that as well. It's fun, and it's a fun journey. I yeah. think you know, um, and I, I I know a lot of models who, uh, you know, they do modeling and they they have some great gigs and stuff. But I think also they they like the expansion into sort of yeah. You know, acting and you know, seeing you know different sides of yourself. Yeah, I want um, to be challenged. I have a thought for you if you want. Please, please. Uh, do you like comedy? I love comedy. All right, so uh, tall, good-looking <laughs> white guy, as we said before. Um, but you know what's a great character for you is the good-looking dumb guy. Okay. Yeah, I mean that's that's the type I'm going to be cast as in the well, beginning. In be you could be the good-looking lead, right? Sure. Clearly. Clearly, very easily, right? But those are hard roles right. to get. You know? And here's the thing. There's a lot more competition. Yeah. And a lot of guys who look like you, tall, good-looking, sort of, you know, lead man type, can't do comedy. Yeah. Yeah. So I think of, uh, I always tell people like uh, like Woody Harrelson from, yeah. you know, he. Uh, if you ever saw, did you watch Cheers at all? I did, yeah. Okay. Funny. I, so completely not him because, you know, like five years after Cheers, he was like, doing killing people all over the place in different movies yeah, and natural playing bad killers, guys, right? Yeah. Um, but he was like this lovable... The doofus. The yeah. doofus. Yeah. Which is almost in every single comedy mm -hmm. and completely lovable and everybody loves it and extremely hard to cast. And you would yeah. do great as it if... So you should do both. I'm not saying you shouldn't. You do one or the other. But it would add like having both mm -hmm. in your repertoire would be great because... They're going to come, it's going to come up. And I have these auditions and they're, they're like, has to be good at comedy. You know, oh, like yeah. That kind of thing. We want like improv experience, yeah, comedy experience. Stuff. Yeah. So, and um, I mean, I think that's because especially those first, you know, co-star roles, the first little roles, like you're not going to get the, the, the love interest. Like that's mm -hmm. going to be go to a, a name actor with a following uh, and, you know. So you're going to get something that's a little more stereotypical. Like you're going to yeah. get the fratty douchebag. You're going to get the like... The yeah. handsome model who's a total idiot. So you have to like accept that to 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 get to the meaty roles where you get to be Christian Bale and lose yeah. thirty pounds and or a hundred pounds or whatever and and really get to like practice your craft. You have to play to your type at the beginning, I think. But you know, uh, people make careers on that type, oh, and yeah. I would say both men and women. Um, okay, I'm I'm bad. I spaced. There was this. Uh, comedy half hour show mm -hmm. about all these guys in a firehouse it had that lead uh oh something pd tacoma pd or something? no there was another one uh there was this there's a guy who's a stand-up who who was the lead uh-huh but oh dennis was it the not dennis miller um 
Dennis Leary. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that one. Yeah. And all the all the firemen, like you would be perfect in there because they yeah. were they were all like big and buff and like lead guy types, but they would say the dumbest things. Like yeah. it was the funniest show because they'd be like, and you know, it was with this very real natural acting. So they'd say the dumbest thing in the most serious way, and mm-hmm. you'd be like, that's hilarious. <laughs> and that's it's not. You know, actors want to take themselves seriously and be artists and maybe they're Juilliard trained. They're like, I don't want to play dumb, but like, that's a real skill to like, to play to your lower intelligence, to play yeah. the low class, the low intelligence. Well, they always say you have to be intelligent to play dumb. Yeah. And it's true. Smart enough to act dumb. I say uh, that all the time. It's so true yeah. because you have to know what you're doing and know why you're doing it and all that kind yeah. of stuff. And I got like all those guys, it was funny because... All the guys in that show I've seen in other places, and they play much more serious characters yeah. now. Yeah. But they they were like, you know, like one of them was like, oh yeah, I'm going to be the centerfold in this magazine. <laughs> it's like that kind of thing, and you know, and, yeah, you know, he go, they go out on dates, and you know, they say the dumbest things on a date. It's the funniest. Uh, it's the funniest thing. Well, did so. you ever watch Parks and Rec? I haven't, but I've seen a couple. So of episodes. Chris Pratt, who's yeah. like, you know, now Mr. Marvel. He started on or he didn't he started on One Tree Hill I think but he moved to L A and he was like a hunky guy ex football player big tall yeah. white guy and he was like I'm not getting roles so he got fat and they got cast as this guy Andy Dwyer on Parks and Rec which I've been rewatching lately and he's like a total idiot but if you and I know there's been a lot there's a lot of improv on that show and like some of the lines he drops are like really sharp and clever but delivered through a dumb lens. So yeah. it works, and he got attention, and they took a shot on him to play uh, Star-Lord or whatever because yeah. they knew the looks were in there. They just needed to lose a few pounds, but he also had that quality of he doesn't think he's hot shit. Yeah, and, yeah. And, uh, you know, now he's like Mr. – you know, maybe it's shifted a little bit, but that – like, that's a real secret sauce is, like, the not taking yourself too seriously. And he's good, and he's very – uh you know, uh, he is humble and he's very lovable. If you like, yeah. even if you see the uh, press interviews, mm-hmm. he's just a normal guy hanging out, cracking jokes with the crew, kind of thing. Yeah, you know, like just kind of having a good time, not really yeah. taking it too seriously. And that's um, something we we talked about on the last episode with uh, Fran. We were talking about how like true confidence is not exclusive. Yeah, it's not. It's very humble. It's very um, like inclusive because you have that self-love, that self-awareness where you're like, I don't need to prove how cool I am by putting you down. Right. And I took, you know, I took a, just a commercial acting class, but they were like, like, okay, like you're this type, like, but like what, what can you do besides like just be this like full of himself douchebag, which like we've seen, we're tired of. Like they're like Ryan Gosling, like he, people love him because he loves his women in his movies. Like he'll mm-hmm. ugly cry for them. He'll, you got to bring something to the table other than just like your face because- right. Then you're just eye candy and like you're it's it's one dimensional, right? Right. And people I mean people can relate to it, right? And yeah. so people identify with it and people remember it, which yeah. is a big thing. And you know, so I, I love characters like that. Um so even the old ones like uh <laughs> this is old, Gomer Pyle. Yeah, sure. You know. There was this actress, I keep forgetting her name, um Two and a Half Men. Yeah. She played the girlfriend of Alan. Okay, yeah. And but she literally she had these moments where she would talk like Gomer Pyle, like she was this beautiful. And they would you know, it it, it maybe they wouldn't do it today, but they had her in bikinis and all this stuff because it was yeah that kind of show. And well, uh, it was Charlie Sheen. It was whole, Charlie Sheen. Yeah. But she'd be like sitting there and, and she would look, look beautiful, and then this Gomer Pyle voice would come out. I was like, oh really? Yeah. <laughs> it was like, woo. Okay. See, that's interesting. That's yeah. got the second dimension to it. But you remember her, and then she had like a. Mm-hmm. I don't know. She had a several shows. Or she had a whole arc as Alan's girlfriend. Yeah. And she was great because uh, she had the same Woody Harrelson cheers, like, in a in a dumb blonde version of it. Yeah. You know, and she would do that, and she was so funny. Um, but that, know. I mean, that's, that's what makes people interesting and well-rounded as characters. And, you know, I think this is this is a well-timed podcast which we didn't plan but like you know it's asian american pacific islander heritage month Mm -hmm. and there's been a big movement in hollywood and entertainment to for better representation which i think is fantastic do you think that's shifted the way you know asian american characters are are fleshed out because they don't have to be these like token images i think there's so on a couple different levels 
I think it's uh, much better for younger people. Yeah. So it's great. So if you're like 20 coming into this business, it's great. Or even 15, whatever. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, it's still difficult for older people, which really? I am. Because, <laughs> yeah, um, I and, and this is how I think about it. Um, so are you, do you read, have you, are you familiar with Joseph Campbell? Yeah. Hero's so, Journey, yeah. Yeah. So he has all these myths. And, you know, George Lucas went to him before he wrote Star Wars and yeah. basically put every single myth into Star Wars. Yeah. Right? When you think about Asian characters, there's really three or four myths, and that's it. There is the, um, you know, Bruce Lee, the warrior kind mm-hmm. of thing. There is the Kung Fu Sensei. Yeah, like wise the, the man, master on the hill. Karate kid, yeah. that kind of thing. And there's always that kind of thing. And then, you know, there's like, you know, evil characters like Fu Manchu. Yeah. You know, um, which are all are fun, but there's not much beyond that. Mm-hmm. And so this I think about it. For a writer to be able to write a role, they're very, they often refer to the myth. Mm-hmm. So they need more examples in their head. Yeah. Because, you know, writers, they, they tend to write who they know who they met. Sure. So if you write have, what you know, yeah. Like if you have a guy that grew up in the Midwest, he's going to write his characters in the Midwest, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just the way it is, which I completely understand. Yeah. So, and then if they go outside of that, often they don't want to because they feel like they don't know as well, or right. they go to the myth. Right. And that's kind of the problem is that there's not a body of work to re- for people to refer to. And is that because the the West hasn't learned the intricacies of other myths and they're just relying on these three tropes that have been around forever? Or is it because they don't correlate with like the Hollywood set? I don't I'm just, I'm curious there, why. There's a bunch of historical I, I, I guess there's a so you know, Asia has always been further than Europe, if you will. Yeah. because so, there's less of a and then there's a I think there's a there was a little bit of a little brother syndrome because if you will, like um, Asia was behind technologically for a while, mm-hmm. and also, uh, you know, the U.S. defeated Japan in a war. These yeah. kinds of things. So these things kind of matter. You know, the war has a huge impact on the myths that created. Sure. You know, um, so you know the myth of, I mean, the Japanese war is well respected. It's small, compact, but fierce and deadly kind of thing, right? Yeah. Um, but also, you know, just because, because Asia society, let's say China, you know, had the communists and so forth, they had a different culture. Mm-hmm. And so they don't have cultural examples to export. Right. You know, so that's a factor too. Like, you know, BTS is probably the only, the biggest thing to come out of Asia in a long time. Well, just, there's a know. big like kind of Korean invasion. It's sort of like the British invasion of right. the you know, 50s and 60s. And Korea is relatively small. You know, South Korea right. is not huge. Like Japan has much more influence. China obviously is this like juggernaut. Um, but it, I think the point you brought up about them being very insular and like you know japan was it's literally an island and for the longest time until like the 1820s they wanted no outside influence they were like they were in their own bubble and maybe that has to do with the lack of exportation of storytelling and it's a bunch of things it's um so i don't know if you're familiar with in china there was a when the communists took over there's a period when they purged all the capitalist stuff. Yeah. They purged all the intellectuals, all, all the, the teachers the and the literature. And professors. You know, it's and, yeah. the farm the farmer was king and yeah. the professor was corrupted, you know. Yeah. So they wiped out a generation of like artists. Which is basically like, same with like what the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia. They yeah. always they come in, they lay waste to anything that could of bourgeois, the whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The threats. So um, you know, and then I think Japan, uh, for a while, they in their history, they were concerned about the um uh the contamination if you will of culture sure which uh, you know i actually think makes sense because if you ever um read all stuff from that age when the meiji era and all the stuff of yeah the samurai and all that kind of stuff there's this time when industrialization comes and it, it uh, uproots not only like physically everything like you know cars and guns and all this other stuff it yeah. changes everything and they didn't want it everything to change and so and that it, was part it, of it it grows exponentially yeah. You know, there's a it fast it's fascinating how techno, technology has it's literally an exponential curve, you know. Mm-hmm. The agricultural age took 10,000 years, the bronze age took 1,000 years, the industrial age took 100 years and the technological age took 10 years. Yeah. And like what's next? You know, is it the singularity where we all become cyborgs and like Who oh, knows, right? You know, is, oh. it, is it time travel and all of a sudden time ceases to time exist? Time for it to chip in our brains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's the neural like it's Elon Musk. Yeah. Musk. Um it is it is interesting and so for whatever historical and economic whatever reasons you know oceans whatever you know yeah. there's been that lack of uh cultural export 
Yeah. You know, and that that's part of the issue, right? So for young kids, it's great because they there are, you know, there there are ideas they can, you know, there's always, you know, stock characters they can do with the young kids. For the older kids, older people, I think it's a little harder. Yeah. You know, um, and that's just a fact of life, if you will. So it is a fact of life, and I mean, I'm not in a position to complain about the position, the, the position to complain about the position I'm in, but like. You know, everyone's like, oh, white guys are out of style. And it's like, well, we're still getting jobs. Like, I'm still working. Mm-hmm. And it's like the playing feels even. So I'm, I'm just like, I'm happy to be here, you know? And like, I'm, I'm curious how you feel about, you know, you entered the industry several years ago before this sort of uptick in diversity and representation. But you still did it. You weren't like, well, there's no chance. There's like, I don't yeah. see anyone like me on TV. So why would I even try? You still, you know, pursued it. Yeah, I mean, it's... um. So the challenge is, um, and it's been, it's it's hard in a sense, and I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not saying poor me. I, yeah, I think no. this is just you the way it freely, is, yeah. is that um, I did really well when I was in my 20s and 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, but your type changes yeah. and your casting changes yeah. as opposed to other things where like in theory, the older you get, the more experience you get under your belt, blah, blah, blah. Right. Well, but the roles change. And the demand roles. So, for for example, for a guy, I would say the 30s and early 40s are a no man's land. Yeah. Because the last 20 years, for example, like you almost never saw an Asian male lawyer. Interesting. Like you saw a doctor, but you never had the Asian male lawyer who was like passionately arguing a case. Mm-hmm. It just never. Appeared. Who wasn't like the young gun 20 something. Yeah. Other yeah. yeah. uh, 20s, 30s. There was no, there are, you know, the 20s and 30s uh, are these roles for like, you know, more mature adults that are passionately fighting things. And, yeah. And that was not, I think, in my personal opinion, the myth. And so you didn't like you really never saw an Asian male lawyer yeah. for a long time. Interesting. And, you know, I did lots of doctors in the meantime. Yeah. Right. But I didn't yeah. I never I, a lawyer. I, yeah. Never a lawyer. You know? Uh, and you're seeing more of it. Even now you don't see it as much. You see women lawyers, Asian mm-hmm. women lawyers. Yeah. And very often you see them as doing the they're the second seat, like you mm-hmm. know, that kind of thing. So you know, there's still some territory to be claimed. Um, I think it's much better. There's a lot more now, so it's great. Um, so, you know, in that sense. Um, but I sort of, it's a timing thing. I came into the industry at that time, yep. and it changed, and I just have to figure out what to do now. Um, I actually think of comedy as well, too, because here's my theory of comedy. I can be old. I can be fat. I can still do okay. <laughs> yeah. Funny's funny, man. If you can pull off that timing, like, you're indispensable. I was, I was, for some reason, I was watching some clip, and Don Rickles came up. And he was, like, 65. He's sitting there, slouched back in his chair. Got a big stomach. He just, just says, you look kind of ugly. Yeah. People laugh. I'm like, yeah. I don't want to do that. You know, like, He had a free pass to be as uh, sharp <laughs> yeah. as he wanted with his tongue, that's for sure. Yeah, so, uh, you know, maybe that's what I need to do because, you know, you have to sort of, and you sort of have to create your own material, I think. Yeah. Um, because it's hard for people to, there's no, like I said, there's no reference for people. It's like, oh, he should play this character because mm-hmm. there's no character to be played other than the sensei. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be Bruce Lee now, I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's, you know, I'm past that one. Um, question, yeah. So, you know. And it's so funny. Like, uh, I, this is a funny one. Uh, I'm very grateful for this, but it's kind of funny. Uh, for about four years, there was this director, commercial director, who had a, a was into Buddhism. Okay. So literally, he would put a Buddhist monk in <laughs> in like all his commercials, and I would get this call like every few months. I'm so grateful because he, <laughs> he he I I survived thanks to him. Um, but he would I'd get this call. I was like, oh, this director wants to use again. Will you shave your head? I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> Whatever you need. Yeah. And I was in a desert in a robe, like as a monk. And, you know, like, but I, I was totally grateful because he gave me a living for a few years. Yeah. Um, but it was completely fitting that thing. And, well, there is this, you know, Hollywood plays it safe, especially now. Everything's a reboot of a reboot. Yeah. I mean, now they're doing like dramatizations of successful documentaries like Colin Firth is uh, playing the guy from the staircase and like they did a Joe exotic like show with Kate. I don't know why it's like, cause they know there's going to be an audience. Yes. So there's playing it safe in that regard. And there's also this lack of like creativity. If they haven't seen it and it hasn't been proven, they can't imagine it being a possibility. And I get this on my end in the modeling world where if my agent emails a client and says, Michael's a great rock climber, you know, he's been on, multi-level trad climbs he's you know he's done mountaineering on big fourteen thousand foot mountains 
but I don't have a photo of me doing that. They're like, we can't see it. Like it, we have a picture of him in a suit. He couldn't possibly climb a mountain. So if they haven't seen the 40 year old Asian lawyer, they're like, ah, it doesn't, I don't get it. I can't it, it's see it. It's so true. You like, know? and it's, and literally it's everything. Even like, um, like I take photos as, as, yeah. as, you know, so I had this client that like, we want picture you to take pictures of, uh, you know, this party we're having. And then I sent my stuff in, my, you know, profile, blah, 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 with my website. Mm -hmm. And I didn't get it. And I said, oh, do you mind? Because they're friends. Do you mind giving me some feedback? Yeah. I said, well, you know, you only have a few shots of, you know, parties. And we picked this other guy. He's like, you know, he's got thousands of pictures with people at parties. And I have to tell you, there's like not a whole lot of technique at a party. You just got to put the flash on the camera because you have no time, right? You put the flash on the camera, you shoot it. So I'm like... I thought as a guy putting together my website, it's like, oh yeah, any that's just they know I can do that. Anyone they know can I can do that, do that because there's just no F8 like eight and be there, yeah, right. There's no like you know huge setup to it and all that stuff. Yeah, and I end up losing the job because, and it's so true. I also get you. You get this too. Like, um, I had to go do a, a role, and uh, it was some uh, pilot, but they asked, oh, do we have any video of Ming doing martial arts? <laughs> yeah, you know that kind of thing. I was like. Well, but I had a stunt guy. Does that count? It's yeah. like, no, go, help me. You know, that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. So they, they really, uh, and maybe it, it's good in this day and age because at least we can, it's much easier to produce our own stuff like you are doing right now. Exactly. I mean, you got to take, you got to take creative control. You got to take the reins. So if you could, you know, paint a picture of the roles that you'd like to create for yourself, what do those look like? What does the next seven years of Ming's career look like? I mean, there's all this great stuff I, uh, that you know you love to do, but it's almost like a wish list thing. I think right now, I think probably what I will probably try to do is try to do some comedy. Yeah, I think that might be kind of fun to do, yeah. and uh, it'll be something that you know hopefully people can relate to and stuff like that. Um, I mean, you always want to do great stuff. You want to do creative stuff. You want to do stuff that stands out and people remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, love to play great bad guys and stuff like that. But you know, the road there is hard. Yeah, so. Maybe I should focus on comedy for the next few years and see where yeah. that takes me. Yeah. Um, you know, I could play a great bad guy in my own movie, but it probably it's not going to go anywhere. <laughs> to be honest, it's just more because... But you get the practice, you get it for your real, and they're like, we want to yeah. see Ming as a bad guy. Well, I got the footage for you, yeah. you know? More because, I mean, it's... Uh, it'd have to be pretty unique, so... Yeah. Um, or, you know, it's just... I think comedy is fun that people like. Yeah. You know? So I think that would be a good thing to do. It's a good baseline. But what are, you know, there's a big thing in acting. Like they ask uh, an actor, you know, why did you, why did you gravitate towards this role? It's like, cause I was scared of it. I didn't think I could do it. Cause it, it's the idea of getting, being pushed, your comfort zone being pushed. And like, that's what brings out the best performances. What are the, what kind of roles would you be scared of? Would you be like, I don't know. Like Hugh Jackman did, what is it? Les Miserables. And he's like, I can't sing. And apparently he was going through first rehearsals with his singing direct, like singing coach and he went home to his wife and was like, I'm going to quit. Like, I can't do this. And then he, you know, it was a resounding success. Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious, what what frightens you? Well, singing for sure. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I brought it Let's up. Let's start with that. <laughs> I yeah, can't that's... sing for shit. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, I think uh, one of the hardest things to do is to play an interesting bad guy. Yeah. Because literally, I mean, first of all, bad guys get all the fun. Sure. Right? Um, but you can literally do anything. And so if you're given this role as a bad guy, you're like, I could do all these things, but what's really going to work? What's mm-hmm. going to really be interesting? Not from the, the end of it, but from the sort of like, not saying I want to be interesting. You do, but at the same time as an actor, how do you create an interesting character that's memorable, that's well, it, distinct? And it goes back to our early conversation about finding the authenticity finding the, right. the motivation in your thoughts which takes you to a very dark place where you have to get into the skin of a person who wants to do bad things yeah. and it has to you know like tom hardy again is great at playing those like he's so good with his eyes because you're like that guy's gonna fucking kill me like, <laughs> <laughs> he wants to no he's good he's really yeah. good he's 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 pretty amazing actually. but to to touch that darkness that is maybe psychologically innate in all of us right but not get attached to it not let it overtake you and you know that's that's I, scary i think that's that would be interesting to, yeah. to you know play really dark characters yeah because you know i'm a believer in uh i'm i'm in believe in the old yin yang we're sure. all part light Contrast. and part dark yes and we're not one without the other yeah 
And, uh, you know, so, you know, we have to confront it, if you will, mm -hmm. and uh, bringing it out in, a, in something, in a, you know, in some kind of role would be kind of cool. Yeah, and it, it goes back to the conversation I was having, again, last week with Fran. It's, um, it gives you a healthy outlet for maybe some of our, um, our lesser predilections as a human. Like, you know, we have vanity and we have egos and like, mm -hmm. you know, that gets conflated with confidence and like there's times when that's messy and it's in real life, but on set, it's, that's your job. And so you have this healthy outlet for, you know, maybe some, some darker tendencies that you can exercise in the right place and then go home and be happy and do comedy. Well, it is one of the great things about acting is you yeah. get to be your complete self yeah in a safe environment you yeah know, it's like i always say people say you know why do you want to be like, well I, I get to shoot guns and no one gets hurt yeah and i was like hey, yeah you know i get to be gi joe and uh, i actually haven't yet but you know you get to do all this stuff that mm -hmm. you wouldn't really do and yeah um you get to live the thing i like about it is like you get to live a thousand lives like you yeah, you yeah. know you hear about um saving private ryan and you know spielberg sent all the cast to boot camp yes and they went through military training for for the world war and like they went they, they suffered they learned what it was like to be a soldier except for matt damon he didn't go to boot camp so when he showed up on set they were all like fuck this guy like he didn't have to go through <laughs> what we went through so the resentment I think that he did that on purpose right yeah so the, they were all yeah. resented matt damon who had to go save saving private ryan but you know if you're on that firefighter show even though it may be a comedy like you're going to get some training in what it's like to live in a firehouse with a bunch yeah. of guys. And, and as someone who thought he wanted to be an investment banker because I was going to make a ton of money and then got a C in econ one and was like, <laughs> let's rethink this. You know, that's one life for the rest of your life. Whereas yeah. acting opens you up to, you get to play and try on different characters and different lifestyles, ideally for the rest of, for decades. And that, you know, you only get what eighty years, but yeah. you can if you can jam yeah, in a bunch yeah, of careers yeah. in some limited way, it's sort of a hack, you know. Well, it's 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 a privilege to do all these things. It really, is, most yeah. of us don't get to. No, right. You so. pick a career. You work. I mean, this is not the rule anymore, but like, you work at it for fifty years. You retire. You get a gold watch, and you get your RV and <laughs> bye bye, <laughs> and then do the national park tour. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, I could talk to you forever. This has been a great conversation. Do you have any? parting wisdom for our listeners oh. about acting, photography, modeling, life, working in a Chinese restaurant when you're seven years old, you know? Um, you know, I, I think uh, it's always good to, so I agree with a lot of what, of what you said, which is a lot of people underestimate how much you have to work. Yeah. So I, I, I think that, um, like, you know, even doing test shoots and stuff. I do a lot of test shoots. Mm -hmm. I, I do. I, I work with clients to get their stuff. But I realize that, you know, I do all my, I try everything in a test shoot first. And mm -hmm. so when I get, so whether it's model or an actor or whatever, all this stuff that you do. And I think you're right that most um, artists um, often don't treat it as a, like a full-time gig. Right. And the more they do that, the more they sort of incorporate it. I always tell people, um, for example, if they want to do acting, uh, and they're like, which class should I go to? I'm like, you know, I don't really like class. Mm. I tell you, this is what you should do instead. Look around at least two or three times a day, and this is really easy. Look, you're hanging out at a coffee shop. Look at somebody and I imitate them. Yeah. You know, it costs you nothing. It's very easy to do. You're probably people watching anyway. Oh, yeah. Always. Or you're on your phone. So I'm going to say this is better than your phone. Yeah. And it's going to be so good for your acting. I once uh, heard Meryl Streep say, uh, "You wonder how, how why she's so good," and she said she, there was a time where she played an old woman, and he's like, "How did you do it?" And she was like, "Well, I was at this party, and I saw this old woman, and I was like, I wonder what it's like to be in that body." Mm -hmm. And here she's first of all, she's at a party. She said, "So I remember that part," but and then she said she actually took an interest like. Most people are like, oh, that's an old person. Yeah, whatever. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to go talk to some other person who's young and interesting. Some whatever. young, but, hot person. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> like, you know, someone, you know, yeah, of their age or whatever it might sure. be. Right. But here's what she did. She actually was curious about what it's like to live like this person. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because I say this to so many people and so many people don't do it. Yeah. You know? But literally, if you sat there every day and you could do five minutes – in the morning, five in the afternoon, five at night, 
And remember, we we're talking about how actors can imitate other people. Yeah, that's what actors do when they're bored on set. They're like, "I'm here with Christopher Walken. I might as well study him." Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know? Which is kind of fun. Which I would like. I'd yeah. be watching him all day. Um, just didn't imitate everybody, you know. And it's it's the best lesson you can ever have, right? Because um, one thing is, uh, so there actually is. Uh, the American school of acting is interior, like, okay, think about my dead dog, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But the British school is physical. And, you know, you talk to Anthony Hopkins, he says, I start with what shoes does the character wear? Yeah. What pants, blah, blah, blah. He looks at a picture of the character. Yeah. And yeah. that. So if you sit there and try to, like, and I actually went to London to study for a summer, mm -hmm. and they have movement class, which does not exist in the U.S. Yeah. And they sit there and say, okay, walk like this person, you know? And, and so... Even if you did that and try to imitate like the way they talk, their posture, the way they sit, everything, you know, saying, yeah. everything, all that kind of stuff, um, then you inhabit the character. Yeah, you know, um, and that's a whole nother layer. If we, you know, we talk about that scene I did for the Apple commercial where he's like, "I want you to, you know, fix your hair like you mean it," but if you add on another layer of like, "Fix your hair like you mean it," as that guy, yeah. not as Michael, not as yeah. a, this authentic commercial actor as this other person because it's very like if i pick up my phone i do it a certain way every single time yeah but good actors when they pick up that phone when meryl street picks up that phone as an old lady it's a totally different movement completely and completely. that's that's cool that's good advice so i think that's uh you know um so i say you know working hard is good and the good news is there i think there's an you know if you do things like that like just watching him easy simple and free and you can get your ten thousand hours Exactly. Imagine if While I being a creep and people watching, like we all do all day, anyways. <laughs> I people watch. Sure, <laughs> I'm the least creepy people watcher there is. <laughs> I mean, we're in LA. It's the best people watching in the world. Exactly. I love it. Uh, thank you so much. It's been great. That was thanks, a lot of fun. Thanks for being here, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having I'm me. I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm just gonna imitate you as you walk out the door. Yeah. Make sure uh, you edit out anything I said that was bad. <laughs> that, I will edit out nothing. It was all. It was all beautiful. Thank you again, man. I appreciate it. Thanks. All right. Bye, kids. Thank you.